On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Ken Babcock. He's the co-founder of Tango. We're going to talk about his journey from um, being a, a founder in residence at Atomic to a pretty successful startup and kind of what he's learned, some of the uh, yeah, knowledge he could pass on if you were looking uh, to go down that path. And uh, obviously, Ken, thank you for being on uh, to share with everyone. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on, Amir. Absolutely. So I know I know the title of co-founder um, can mean a lot of things, uh, different hats, different ways it's split up. So if you tell um, us what you uh, are responsible for and also tell us what Tango does so everyone has some context of that and we'll dive dive in. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start with Tango and then, then talk a little bit more about you know what I what I've done, which is uh, for other fellow founders, you know, that's a it's a very meandering set of responsibilities. But Tango, put very simply, we're a Chrome extension that allows you to create how-to guides in the flow of work. So um, any process tool that you're using, uh, you just activate the Tango Chrome extension, and we create documentation of, of everything that you just did. So think about training a team member or a customer up on a particular tool or process, uh, we make it such that you can just go through your process and then share it very quickly, um, which you know is a lot, uh, a lot more streamlined of a process than taking screenshots manually, dumping it into a Word doc, annotating all the screenshots. Um, so we're saving people a lot of time. Now, my role as a co-founder, it has changed a lot. Um, from the beginning when it was really just me and my two co-founders, Brian and Dan. But I would say the way I think about my role today, and we're you know 35 people post-Series A, 200,000 plus users, however you want to benchmark our size. My role today is really how do we hire and retain the best talent? How do we make sure we don't run out of cash? And uh, how do we make sure that we have a very clear vision and goals that we're striving towards. So those three areas, I mean, it sounds very simple when you say it, they're big, but like that to me is like the critical role of like a co-founder and CEO. Absolutely. No. And I think obviously, uh, yeah, as time has gone on, um, I'm, I'm sure you've added, as you've mentioned to that toolbox and the, the ever evolving, um, job that is the co-founder. I, I guess the one thing we talked about, um, beforehand was kind of the, the path you take and um yeah obviously you you spent some time in the atomic program you then left um and then at some point in the last couple of years you launched your own, own company um i think it is interesting to kind of talk about that journey um some of the decisions that went into it and, and what you get from a program like you know being a founder in residence at atomic how much of that carries through what are some of the gaps that going back you you might have hoped you would have known um, beforehand, if any. Um, and I guess maybe to start off at the top. So, you know, deciding to join, I mean, you were at Uber, you know, to decide, decide to join Atomic, um, you know, what, what prompted you to want to go down that path just to begin with? Well, Uber was a really unique experience. I mean, I was there for four and a half years. It was during highs, lows, I mean, the highest of highs, you know, growth at all costs, every week was a record week to, you know, hashtag delete Uber. And, you know, even my friends kind of being like, you're still there? Like, why are you still there? Um, so, and so that was really challenging. But I think that the, you know, the constant thread throughout my experience there was that the culture was extremely entrepreneurial. If you saw a big enough opportunity or a big enough challenge internally, 
you could assemble a team around it. I mean, you could make that your full-time job, which was really empowering. And so, you know, for me, I had, you know, maybe explored a few other opportunities in my last year at, at Uber. And I just didn't get the sense that a lot of companies had that. I mean, I, I started to realize that was very unique. And um, it felt like the path for me to be able to recreate that, that chasing of opportunities, that solving of, of real challenges was to go found something myself. And now at that point, I'm 27, 28. I had, you know, quite a bit of like imposter syndrome where I, I, I wasn't confident that I could go be a founder, you know, out the gate. I wasn't just going to drop everything from like a, a very, uh, you know, at that point, a very stable, reliable job where I was like doing well, getting promoted, having an increase in scope. It was hard for me to think like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the coffee shop now and just like work on something. And I didn't really have an idea in my back pocket. So that for me made Atomic really attractive because the idea with Atomic, which, you know, is extremely compelling for people like the position that I was in is that, you know, you can come in, you can be that founder in residence, you can have a lot of resources, you can have mentorship, coaching. Um, and there's also there was also just like a, a roster of ideas that they wanted to explore. And so that to me felt a lot more palatable than just kind of closing up shop at Uber and you know, going to work in the back of a coffee shop. And and that's interesting. I think I, you know, we'll we'll come back to imposter syndrome because I think that that'd be interesting to explore and kind of, you know, and kind of comparing where you're at now versus kind of the journey. Um, and, and I guess when you, when you're at Atomic and you're, you know, you're there, you're absorbing, you have the resources, you have the information, obviously you still deep down, you wanted to, to start a business. That's why you joined the program. Was there any point at which you go, Hey, this sounds a lot better on paper than, than reality. I'm, I'm just nuts. I should go find another job. Um, I mean, there were definitely some things where, you know, I, I, I felt like I wanted to explore a little bit more maybe with some of the ideas and, um, you know, I, I wanted to maybe even like say, Hey, you know, this idea is not going to work. Let's move to, let's move to another one. Um, you know, but we gave it some time, which I credit the, you know, the atomic team for that and just like letting things play out a little bit more. So you had a little bit more confidence in, in where you were going to go. I, you know, I, I do think for me, I I learned a ton at Atomic, and I you know I always refer to it as my like founding with training wheels experience. And so I didn't, I, you know, there were a lot of things that I didn't have to worry about. They had a recruiting team, a finance team, accounting team, legal team, and you know, I un, until I started Tango, I didn't really appreciate how significant of a lift that can be. But, you know, I learned, you know, what you need to do when you're starting a company. Like, what are the just like mechanics and administrative procedural tasks? Um, you know, but I did feel a little bit that like I wanted to maybe take a step back and think about, okay, what were the things that I was really passionate about and like the ideas that I really wanted to explore as opposed to, you know, executing on ideas that, you know, maybe somebody else wanted to explore. I, that's that's actually you know, that's a good point. And I guess when you're looking at at that, you're evaluating. You mentioned, yeah, hey, I don't think this is going to work. 
you got to give it some more time. You're obviously part of the program. You know, they, they want you to take some of those maybe ideas to, to carry them forward, see how, how they do flush out. When you decide on tango, I mean, how, how do you, how do you get to that point where you go, you know what? I think, I think this is the one, this is an idea that I, that I want to put, you know, put the little stake in the ground. I want to, I want to give this one a go. Yeah. So maybe articulating the timeline will be helpful for people. So, you know, I was at Atomic from November, 2018 through let's call it, I think it was like May, 2019. So it was brief. And in that time, you know, when I decided to leave, it was really about, you know, I had this opportunity to go to Harvard business school and that's ultimately what I decided to do. I mean, you know, definite weighing of trade-offs, but you know, when I got to HBS, I, I said to myself, okay, this is going to be a time, this is going to be a two-year program. This is going to be a time for me to really think about what excites me, where do I see problems that need solving. Um, and ultimately, and this is probably the same mental math that every founder goes through, what am I going to see myself dedicating five to seven to nine years to doing? Right. And and that's ultimately like what you have to prepare yourself for as a founder. Like if things go well, you're doing this for a long time. I mean, obviously if things go well, that's, that's a, that's great in and of itself, but you know, you have to kind of like, you know, eat, sleep, breathe everything about your problem space and the solution that you're providing. And if, if, if that wavers at all, it's gonna be really hard to keep up the stamina for that long. And so, um, you know, it was pretty fortunate that I met my co-founders at HBS. I think it was their first day of school. I mean, we had been introduced to mutual friends and it was sort of a, Hey, we think you guys will get along. You should, you should meet up. And the three of us did on day one. And, and that's sort of like, you know, the, the rest is history, but we all really cared a lot about team performance. We talked about that a ton and, um, you know, it was thinking about, okay, why does, why does a certain team perform better than others within a team? Why are certain people high performers? Why are certain people not? And like, what's the gap there? And that's really where we, where we honed in on documentation. And we said for the high performer, it's really hard to share their knowledge. It's, it's cumbersome, takes too long to create that documentation. They get stale really quickly. Business change um, is rapid and, you know, people's roles change and the best people usually adapt. And so, how do we create a, a documentation solution that will allow, um, you know, allow that knowledge to adapt to the change in the business? So that was really where Tango started, and I think that tied in a lot of our passions. I mean, Dan was, um, you know, an investor in, in software companies and had that experience. But from a team perspective, he also was like captain of the Brown football team. Like we, we're all just people who are very oriented around teams. I led teams early in my career at, at Uber. And then, um, you know, Brian had founded companies before school. So knew, you know, knew how critical teams were to, to success. So I think that was the theme that kind of brought it all together where we could say, we could be doing this for five to seven to nine years. <laughs> I, I guess it, I guess the step in between uh, atomic and, and deciding to go, uh, you know, Harvard Business School, and as you kind of were going through the Atomic, if if you would have seen a product you liked, you think the path changes, or, or was you know the decision to go to HBS something that you thought was kind of critical if you want to be a, an entrepreneur down the road? 
You know, I, I, I attribute it to a few things. Yeah. Like if, if there was, if there was an idea that I was particularly excited about, you know, that absolutely could have changed the course. I think the other thing too, is like, I had just come off four and a half years at just a crazy place to work. I mean, Uber was a crazy place to work, you know, now that I have more context and, um, you know, it was four and a half years of riding those ups and downs, really grinding through just a lot of hard projects and problems and different team dynamics. And, um, you know, I, I wrapped up my time at Uber on a Friday and I started at Atomic on a Monday. And then like the following week I got knee surgery and then I came back to Atomic on crutches and I just didn't give myself a chance to breathe. And so what was attractive about HBS was also in addition to, you know, really thinking about what those ideas I'd be excited about. It was also like, I need a reset. Like I absolutely need a reset. I, I didn't fully appreciate what it would take to be a founder, even in the atomic environment where you have so much support and you have so many resources, like I was burned out. Um, and so, you know, business school was also an opportunity to like get some of that energy back, you know, fill up, fill up your cup as a lot of people say. That's interesting. Cause I think it's that perspective that you're mentioning, you know, stepping away and being able to decompress, you know, going, you know, from, from Uber on a Friday to Atomic on a Monday. I mean, I was, I was just listening to that. I'm going, wow, that's gotta be a lot of, you know, moving parts to adjust your role, you know, as a, as, as a individual contributor to all of a sudden, Hey, you're going to open up and absorb all this new context, all this new information to be a founder, all these different, you know, aspects of the business. I guess when you mention imposter syndrome and, you know, people obviously have images of their mind as to what it means to be a founder. And yeah, everyone obviously understands it's hard work. I think that that's a common theme that we all get as a founder. You're putting in hours because it's it's yours, right? You're you're accountable. When you kind of think back to Atomic taking a step back, starting Tango, when you first start Tango, obviously you have some of the Atomic experience, but when you start Tango, how much of you know, that learning kind of alleviated maybe some of that imposter syndrome, or did you still, you know, have some of that trying to, Hey, I'm trying to pretend like I'm figuring this out. And I, I don't know, I guess, how, how did that unfold once you started Tango? Yeah. And this is, this is really where I think there was tremendous value in being at HBS and just seeing that community and fellow students. I always felt that in order to be a founder, you needed to accumulate all these skills. You know, you needed to, become an expert at negotiation. Um, you needed to become an expert at, you know, storytelling, fundraising, culture building, products, engineering. Like I, I just thought you needed to accumulate it all because ultimately like you would need to set the foundation. And I think what I learned through HBS and just through the process with Brian and Dan is like, we all had areas where we spiked. We had areas where we were excellent at the stuff that we weren't excellent at, we leaned on our networks and we asked people for their time to figure out, okay, hey, we've never done this before. Um, can you help us just think through what we should be doing? And I think that started alleviating a lot of that imposter syndrome because, you know, what I saw from, you know, fellow or past founders who are my classmates, you know, what they ultimately said was like, you know, the key to success is just admitting what you don't no. You know, if you if you're trying to like 
show that you know something, but you really don't, that's going to put yourself in a, in a tricky spot. Like you want to admit what you don't know, seek out guidance, seek out mentorship advice. I mean, that's why advisors exist. That's why there's so much value in building a network. And that, that really allowed me to say, you know what, I think, I think we can go do this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and it also helped that like Brian and Dan, we all had very complementary skill sets. It wasn't something where there was like tremendous overlap between any, any two people in that group. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I listened to you mention being aware of your strengths and, and then trying to find, you know, people to help advise you on the, on the gaps, the weaknesses, you know, I guess when we're all growing up or just, you know, what we hear a lot about is always working on your weakness, right? Try to, try to strengthen your weakness, try to address that. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've thought about personally, I'm just listening to you. I'm like, well, sometimes if you actually know what your strength is and you build around your strength and then fill in that gap with the pieces that you don't have, it, it might be easier than trying to overcome a weakness, which you might not, you might spend a lot of time and effort try to, trying to do that and never get there. And I think it's interesting that um, you kind of realized that you don't have to have all the hats and all the the tools in your toolbox polished, ready to go, that it's actually was your core skill set that, that was carrying you through. And the willingness to just lean Learn. on others, right? Yeah. Like if, if that is a weakness, leaning on others and building trust and understanding, you know, where they're coming from. The framework that I actually really like to think about, and we started actually doing this as a founding team. It's from a, a guy named Matt Mockery, who's a, He's like a CEO coach. He's read, he's written some books and um, a lot of people reference him as like, you know, kind of best in class for, for the tech world. But he talks about for founders, you know, trying to operate within your zone of genius, which sounds ridiculous. Um, and it is, it's marketing, right? But your zone of genius is really when you look at like kind of a two by two matrix, one side being I am uniquely good at you know, that's one row uniquely not, you know, or not good at. And then, you know, the other side of the matrix is like, what do I enjoy? What do I don't enjoy? And so the idea with the zone of genius is like, you should be operating as much as you possibly can in the, in the zone of, I am uniquely good at this and I, and I really enjoy it. Um, and you know, everything else, every other, you know, part of that matrix there's sort of a prescribed action, right? If there are things that you're uniquely good at, but you don't enjoy, maybe you have to suck it up and, and take on some of those things. Maybe that's something to delegate, you know, it, and similarly for the other zones. But we think about it, that a lot. And and I think it goes back to your point on, on doubling down on strengths. Um, and I don't want to paint the picture that like, I'm not hard on myself. I'm, I'm harder on myself than anyone, right? Especially when it comes to weaknesses. But I'm even starting to reframe, you know, double down on your strengths and really focus on that where you can provide value. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, um, and we'll, we'll link to the Matt Mockery book. Um, I think that's a, that's a operating your zone of genius. That's a, that's a good line. Obviously, if, if, if you're, uh, you know, if you're on the path of being a co-founder, you might probably come across that, but if not, we'll, we'll make sure that's linked. And I guess as you kind of go through, you finished HBS. You you met your, you know, you, you met your future founders, your business partners there, and as you're seeing the company, I mean, you've been now. It's it's a couple of years. Tango's been around, correct? Three years or so, almost. Almost, yeah. I mean, if you count, 
our very HBS startup bootcamp project, which was January of 2020. It's uh it's almost three years. Three years. Which congrats. I mean, that's that's yeah, that's an accomplishment. Uh, I think there's those stats about small businesses and startups, but so I think three years is fantastic. But if you're looking at where you're at now, I mean, I guess we're jumping forward a little bit in time and in the timeline, but just out of curiosity, and and you're looking back on the the three years and I guess you know the the, the course of doubling down. Did you actually try during that process to go tackle some of those weaknesses because you felt you need to be well-rounded. I'm asking because you mentioned, you know, you said you you realize now that you don't have to accumulate all those skills to be a founder. You're mentioning doubling down. Did you actually end up trying to solve for the weaknesses, you know, inadvertently because you are, you know, a high performer? Yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, I think I think it is natural, right? Like I, I think also anyone who grew up playing sports. Like you're, you're just, it's ingrained, right? I mean, I grew up playing sports all seasons and, you know, it was always about focusing on your weaknesses. So yeah, no, I mean, unintentionally there's, that has absolutely happened, whether it be like, you know, HR, finance, um, you know, areas where when you're the CEO and you don't have people in those functions, you end up being the backstop. Uh, those are definitely things where I said, Oh, you know what? Like, you know, we can, we can maintain our, our burn and extend our runway if we don't hire these people and I can just absorb it and like, I can figure it out. And that was like pretty naive because there's a lot of nuance there. Um, and you know, I, I think I learned that the hard way, uh, where you're just like, Holy cow, I've got a million things kind of in this, in this bucket. In fact, it's (laughs) For me, that would probably be the zone of incompetence where you don't necessarily enjoy doing it and you're not good at it. Um, and and that, that gets really draining. And so, um, no, that's that's absolutely happened. And I think I think everyone probably could, you know, everyone tries this in their own personal life. I mean, if if, if you have a, a car, a home, anything, I mean, sometimes you're like, I'll just go tackle that to not spend the X to, to hire someone in. And then, you know, three, four trips to Home Depot later, um, you're, 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 you're willing to write any check you can, um, uh, just because you realize that, uh, yeah, you need it done. But uh, I guess when you're kind of looking at, at the future, right. And you're, you're taking some of the learnings and it's, and I think as an athlete, I, I see that a lot. You know, I think you're right. It's ingrained to want to perfect the the craft, the skill. You have to work on all the flaws because some of those nitty gritty details are what separates you know athletes from each other. Because everyone's at some point very similar in terms of the the regimen. But as you're kind of looking forward, and you're like, at some point, you're going to have to divest hats, and and you're going to even get more focused on some of the areas that you mentioned that you're focused on now. Have you started thinking like, oh, which ones you're gravitating towards? Because obviously you know, they're in your, you know, zone of genius versus not, or do you have now things that you're like, I just am passionate and I'm willing to put the time and effort to, to grow that skill. Cause I've just realized it's something that I like doing. I think, you know, I, I have what I mentioned earlier around those like three areas that are critical hiring and retention, you know, cash runway, like mission and vision. That is where I'm trying to focus a lot of my energy mainly because, you know, I mentioned we're 35 people, we're all remote. Remote presents a lot of challenges. There's a ton of benefits too. Um, but 
you know, sometimes what that means is you're playing a, a large game of telephone uh, when it comes to communication. And so, you know, a lot of what I'm thinking about is like, how do we bring in the right people that are going to thrive in this environment? And then once we bring them in, how do we know that they're very clear on where we're going? Why do we exist? Where we're going? How do we get there? I mean, that's those three categories are actually literally how we've framed our, um, you know, first half of 2023 strategy. It's like those are literally the three headers because um, that alignment is what's going to allow people to move quickly and remove bureaucracy, right? If everyone's running around being like, what are we focused on? What are the goals? What's the vision? You know, and they're, and they're asking around and everyone's playing that game of telephone. That means they can't feel like empowered to execute on, on what they need to do. Um, and so that is where I find myself spending much more of my time, which is very different than the early days. The early days, like when you're a co-founder, you're kind of like this like high powered individual contributor, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to do all that stuff. And now it's it's almost a little bit of like being very mindful of where you're leaning in, but otherwise kind of like architecting the map for everyone on the team to understand where they need to go. Absolutely. No, I mean, it, and it actually was, uh, you know, I think when we, when we spoke, uh, the product, you know, itself seemed to resonate to me because, uh, y- you know, we're all remote and we're all trying to, capture some ip to give to somebody else and before it used to be just sitting down next to me and um it was really easy and now when i when i saw the product i'm like well this is interesting because you know to be able to do something really quick provide a and you mentioned you know something about if there's a you know, bit of an obstacle you know a high performer might not capture that information it, it might be just be something they're not going to do and getting that so that somebody else can consume it but more importantly someone else can consume it even further um it's really interesting because you mentioned you know the whole thing started based on you know the three of you um having a passion in terms of the teams and and high performance which kind of all fits into the product really well yeah i mean we we use the product internally (laughs) you know i mean not just for our own product feedback but it i mean it does just accelerate your ability to say hey here's the here's the thing I need you to do. Here's how you do it. Um, or even just, you know, helping people get onboarded. You know, my chief of staff has created, uh, an unfathomable amount of tangos just to facilitate getting people up to speed. Um, which, you know, I think that also allows people to move quickly. You know, once you have somebody ramped faster, they can contribute sooner and that's real value. Absolutely. Um, I was going to ask you a final question because I'm I'm always curious uh, when I speak to a founder is, you know, when you first start a company, you have certain maybe thoughts and aspirations and then you're in it. Um, maybe those change, maybe they don't, you know, the goals of what you think you're going to kind of accomplish. Um, there is some, you know, images of what it means to be a founder and, and the end goal. But I guess when you compare it to, you know, the, your, your initial you know, startup uh, phase of Tango to now has like your goals changed as well? Have they been consistent? I mean, obviously the goals of the company is different, but I guess your personal thought of, oh, I'm going to be a founder to do X versus now that you're three years in it, you're like, I'm a founder to do, oh, maybe the same thing or maybe you know, the goal slightly has changed. 
Yeah, it has changed. I mean, I, th- I think when you start, you know, it's, it's really about how do we identify a problem that's big enough, you know, that, that it needs to be solved. Um, and making that impact is the primary motivator. And, and, and I don't think that goes away. You know, it's, it's still so uh, powerful to see how our customers talk about the time that they're saving, because that's that's time they can spend to be like more creative in other realms, more strategic on other projects, or or even like make sure they make it to family dinner. I mean, all of those things are extremely meaningful and moving. So that kind of remains, but I would say that, you know, a lot of what I enjoy about being an entrepreneur now is, is mostly about leadership. You know, you've got, a, when you've got a team of 35, these are people that are almost entrusting you with their career, right? And how, you know, observing how motivated they are at work and, and why they do what they do and making sure we have mission alignment. So, you know, I think for me now, my goals are more focused on how can I lead a, a group of highly capable, highly intelligent people towards um, delivering more impact, right? So it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more removed from just let's solve the problem. Um, let's rally a team of people to solve the problem. So um, that's what I, that's definitely what I enjoy the most. Awesome. I was going to say, it, you know, I, th- I think your, your background experience are, are phenomenal. Um, great story in terms of, you know, your, your, your road to being a founder. So thank you for, um, being on and sharing. I guess I like to ask, uh, guess this question, cause I always get something different and I'll ask you as well. Um, if you could ask a future guest of the podcast to cover a topic, what, what would you like to hear them talk about? Oh man. I mean, if it's, if it's a founder, that's a little bit more later stage. I think what I would be curious about is what are these inflection points in terms of your company size, where that role changes? You know, I think for me, that change happened probably at 10 people and now at 30 people where like, just feels like you're in a completely different capacity. Would love to know what are the next, (laughs) the next set of inflection points, you know, is that 50 people? Is it a hundred people? And what does that mean for, you know, how I can be an effective CEO? So that's a topic I'd love to hear more about. I like it. That's a good one. Um, I'm sure, sh- I'm sure you'll get there. Um, but obviously if we can have somebody talk about it, it's, I mean, it seems like kind of fits, uh, your desire of always trying to learn from others. And I think this would be a great topic for everyone else to learn, um, from as well. What's Ken, what's a good way of getting a hold of you? If somebody wants to just, uh, reach out, pick your brain, talk about something you mentioned on the episode, um, is LinkedIn, do you have a preferred means of somebody reaching out? Yeah, I think my preferred would be uh, just shoot me an email. Shoot an email, okay. Uh, Ken at tango.us. Um, I'm I'm pretty responsive, so and and love to if I can you know pay it forward and help somebody else. Like that's always that's always something I'll make time for. Awesome, man. Uh, thanks for your time. I know you're busy. Thank you. For, thank you for taking the time to chat, and uh, I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Amir. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely.
that's it for this episode. Be back again, different guests, different topic. Um, two things. One, I think Ken has a great, you know, uh, topic that he'd like to hear about. And I think others will like to hear about as well. So if you are a, um, later stage founder, I think talking about how that role evolves, um, as the company has grown would be awesome. Uh, or if you know someone that'd be a good guest, uh, please let me know. Love to have them on. Secondly, if you found the podcast useful, share it with somebody else, um, give it a rating. And uh, whatever platform you listen to, that's how we've been growing. So I can't thank everyone enough. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.